Hello, thank you for listening to our podcast. This is our daily Bible, and today we're looking at Acts 15. And again, we'll be looking at Acts 17 through these four questions that we use every time. And so check out our last podcast to see a quick explanation of what those four questions are. Of course, I will say them here, but I will not explain them. Our first question for Acts 15 is looking at the background. What is the background? What is the historical and literary background of Acts 15? Well, the Gentile church has been operating now for about 10 years. And as we turn the page to chapter 15, uh, we're at the end of that 10 years. And so it's been approximately 20 years since Christ has resurrected from the dead. Uh, For the first 10 years of the church, Christians were mostly Jews who uh, previously held to the Mosaic Law. And they visited the temple in Jerusalem for worship. And for the most part, Jewish Christians held to their Judaistic practices. And so when the Gentile church began to rise, some Jews taught that non-Jews, Gentile Christians, uh, must be circumcised and keep the law in order to be saved, in order to have eternal life. Well, of course, this is an issue. It's a a soteriological... I can't say that word. It's a soteriological issue. It's an issue about salvation. And so I see chapter 15 as mainly a salvation issue. And we get to read about it. We get to see how this played out. The church in Antioch would have had a mixture of Jews and Gentiles worshiping together, which would have otherwise been a deal stopper for most Jews who would keep themselves perfectly separate from Gentile customs. When some Jewish Christians came from Judah and began teaching that they must obey the law in order to be saved, Christians in Antioch began to dispute that point. And certain men, I'm reading the Bible now, and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. And so that's what we read there in chapter 15. Now the church at Antioch desired to send men to Jerusalem uh, to find out the truth. Of course, a Gentile church and uh, they they would assume that they don't know as much as the Jerusalem church. That would have been the first church, and so they want to send a delegate of men to the first church, the original church, the church that got started in Jerusalem, and ask uh, the believers there what to make of this issue. Do we have to obey the law? Do we have to be circumcised in order to have eternal life? And so they wanted to know what the church's stance on the issue was. Well, in verse 2 it says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Now, once they arrived, the apostles and elders of the church convened together, and there was much dispute. Finally, Peter stood up and retold the story about how God sent him to the Gentiles. And uh, at their Cornelius' house, and God instructed him through a vision that the Gentiles were no longer considered to be unclean. And once Peter was there, the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles as the Holy Spirit fell on the Jews at Pentecost. And so the Gentiles in Cornelius' house had their own Pentecost experience, signifying that the uncircumcised Gentiles were saved and received the Holy Spirit just as. The Jews did. And verse 8 it says, And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, 
even as he did unto us. And verse 9, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Key, I think, there is that God bear witness, and God said, no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts and our hearts by the same faith. So the council determined that Gentiles were being saved by God without adding anything to their faith other than believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so verse 11, it says, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. So Jews and Gentiles are saved and sanctified by the same means, all by faith. Now, after the men kept their silence, um, the men there at the council at the church in Jerusalem there, James, whom I supposed to be the pastor of the church at Jerusalem at the time, stood up and reconfirmed God's working through Peter. But he also appealed to the authority of scriptures. He, he quoted Amos 9, 11 through 12, that is indeed God's will that the Gentiles would and need to be saved. And they would still remain Gentiles, even after they got saved. Here in verse 15 in our chapter, it says, And to this uh, agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, this is where he quotes Amos, After this, verse 16, I will return and will, and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. So James rightly quotes um, God's word in Amos to remind the Jewish men who are holding on to Mosaic rituals that this is God and this is God's will, that Gentiles would be saved and remain Gentiles. Um, they would be saved through faith and not through um, some Mosaic law. So James also suggested that uh, the church in Jerusalem should write a letter to exhort the Gentile churches starting in Antioch for the sake of the Jews who are in their cities and in their churches' uh, congregations. Now, there's, there's Jews in Antioch, and there's just like the Jews in Jerusalem who would have, who would have been offended at some of the practices that Gentiles had. And so this letter was sent in good faith to maintain a good relationship with their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ by not eating things offered to idols, eating blood, and abstaining from immorality, all things that um, traditional Jewish men and women would have been turned off by. Uh, verse 19, it says, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. And so this letter and the explanation that goes with the letter is saying that there's Jews everywhere and they are going to observe Moses' law. And so for to give advice to the Gentile Christians who are turned to God, like it says in verse 19. Let's advise them to not eat things offered to idols and obviously stay away from fornication and and from things strangled and from things and, and from eating blood. Those things would be offensive to Jewish Christians and to the Jews. So if you wanted to uh, 
witness to the Jews and get them the gospel, it would be wise to observe these things while you're in their presence. So the content of the letter was not to add conditions for salvation, but it was guidelines for Gentile believers uh, to unify socially uh, with the Jewish believers. Now, after the council, Judas and Silas, men of Jerusalem, were selected and sent to return to Antioch to bear the letter to them and to read the letter to the congregation. And when they did, the Gentiles of um, the Gentile Christians of Antioch were encouraged and confirmed by the council's judgment. Encouraged and confirmed are words that the Bible uses. The matter of circumcision or following the law was not required to be found in Christ. Verse 24, it says, For as much as we have heard, that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words. And so this would be Judas and Silas speaking this. It says, Subverting your souls, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. And so that's the, that's the remarks that the Jerusalem church wrote, the church in Antioch, in response to their inquiry. So we gave them no such commandment to come and teach you that you must keep the law in order to be saved. Verse 31. When they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets, also themselves exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. That's everything under the question, the first question, what is going on? What is the background? And so that is a quick synopsis of what has happened and what's going on. Now, number two, uh, question number two is what we learn about God. What can we discover about God in this chapter? Well, God chose Jesus Christ and faith in him to be sufficient for salvation. This is such a powerful passage in the Bible that gives us the authority on what one must do to be saved. The question is specifically regarding circumcision and the keeping of the law of Moses. But the principle discovered is able to settle the issue. Acts is a narrative. And so this truth of faith in Jesus Christ alone is sufficient for salvation has been brewing ever since Peter was sent to Cornelius' house back in chapter 10. The Jews first turned to Christ when Peter uh, began preaching repentance in Acts 2, and some 20 years prior to this event that we're reading about now in Acts 15. The Holy Spirit entered uh, those Christian believers there in Cornelius' house and gave evidence of a new dispensation, a new time that was foretold back in Joel that God's Spirit would be poured out on his people. Later, because it was necessary, God sent Peter to Cornelius' house, who was a Gentile, and Peter witnessed the Holy Spirit come upon them in the same way it came upon the Jews back in Pentecost in Acts 2. So the soteriological, here I am again with that word, the soteriological wall between Jew and Gentile was destroyed. Uh, and I have a note here to look at Ephesians 2, 12 for 14. What tore down this wall? What broke this wall between Jews and Gentiles? It was the grace that became the common denominator for all who would be saved. For all would be saved through grace and not of works. Uh, verse 11 in our chapter says, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. So that would be Jews talking of uh, Gentiles, that Jews would be saved, even as the Gentiles are saved. 
Um, that we in this verse is the Jews speaking toward the faith of Christ that merits their salvation and not the law keeping or anything else for that matter. So the principle is here. Nothing can be added to God's plan of salvation through faith in Christ alone. This principle confronts uh, what many today believe about what is required for salvation. Uh, for example, some people believe that you must still keep the Sabbath. And we call that people the Seventh-day Adventists, that you must keep the Sabbath. Um, others, like our friends in Roman Catholicism, would say that you must observe papal authority in order to be saved. Others might say that baptismal regeneration, our friends in the Church of Christ, Campbellism, um, would say that you must be baptized in order to be saved. And there's any number of numerous cults that add and take away from God's Word to produce a system of rituals that are attempted, uh, or the rituals that they believe uh, will redeem your soul. Um, that's the first thing. That's the first thing that we learn about God is that God has chose Jesus Christ and faith in Him alone to be sufficient for salvation. The second thing is, is that God chose His Word to be the final authority in all matters of revelation. Now, when Paul and Barnabas, they rehearsed to the council what God did through miracles. They were notable, and God gave evidence through the miracles that He was doing something. However, the final appeal and the most authoritative appeal was to God's written word. The miracles at the events that happened, uh, they were all elements that were predefined and were interpreted through scripture before. The Pentecost and the miracles uh, following that day were all foretold in the written scriptures. Now James, in this chapter, he appealed to the will of God as he understood it through the scripture rather than attempting to ascribe something to God that he never said. Only after James reviewed the authority of Scripture did he pronounce his judgment in verse 19. Verse 19 says, Wherefore my sentence is, that we trouble them not, talking about the Gentiles, uh, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. And so in the context, troubling the Gentiles would mean to add something, add a stipulation, add a rule, add something that the Gentiles Christians would have to do to enjoy their Christian identity. But James realizes that his authority cannot go beyond what is already written in Scripture. Now, number three, we ask the question, how does this passage point to Jesus? How does it all point to Jesus? And so two things I've written here. One, that it's, it's Jesus alone. And the context of chapter 15 is the whole Bible story from uh, the fall of man to the redemption of Christ. And there is no greater problem than man's sin problem that separates him from God. Um, so we can go about the world and, and fix problems around the world that we see, but the greatest problem that needs to be fixed is man's sin problem that separates him from God. And Jesus was sent, and we are not commanded to make people's lives ultimately more comfortable or more convenient or even disease-free, but to tell everyone about such a Savior who rescues us from death and sin. We are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Um, the second thing about Christ here is that Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. 
So there is a point here that the ultimate authority is God's Word. That Jesus is also called by John the Apostle the Word of God that became a human being. John understood that Jesus is the enfleshing of God's Word. Whenever we see in the Old Testament, thus saith the Lord, uh, that is the most potent thing in the universe. Because when God says something, it happens. When he says, let there be light, there is light. And all it takes is for God to merely say the word, and it happens. And God speaks, and he reveals himself. And so through the same word that creates everything, he also reveals himself and who he is and how we can know him. And when Jesus came, thus saith the Lord, literally became a human being. And thus Jesus gives us a perfect representation of God's power and who he is. Jesus is the center of our worship. His commands are the creed of our faith. We repent of other ways for his ways. He is worthy of our surrender and every sacrifice. And our lot in life is to know him and to make him known. And we wrap this up with application of the passage. And of course, application will be different for everybody because everybody's in a different um, place in life. The truths are the same, uh, but the truths are applied in your specific uh, circumstances. So here's my application. Uh, recently, a student asked how he could help a colleague battle depression. And so bluntly speaking, you know, we're not sent as Christians to battle depression or fixed social relationships that people have. That's not the main problem. However, we are sent for the same reason that Jesus was sent, to save sinners. And even as my Father has sent me, so send I you, is what Jesus said. But the gospel message does not leave surface problems unanswered either. Uh, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, which in the end is a total and fundamental change of a person's life. A person's life is already corrupted by sin and they're lost in darkness until they come to Christ and the Holy Spirit indwells them and they are now on a course in life that is completely different than it was before. So how can we help my student's uh, friend by loving him and telling him about Jesus. The gospel is not a slap of a band-aid. It's not a, uh, a surface fix, but it is the elixir of life. Uh, all other ways lead to death, but the gospel leads to life. If yourself or your friend is battling depression, we first seek Jesus. Then we'll be informed by the Holy Spirit on some kind of a change, some kind of a transformation, some kind of a lie that needs to be fixed, some kind of root problem that needs to be changed uh, from the deepest inner core. And that's where the gospel works. And there is no joy like the joy of the Lord. And no one can experience it outside of Jesus Christ in a life built on the authority of God's word.